0: Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. You're with Sophie Guy, and today I'm talking with Paula May, Manager of the Therapeutic Youth Residential Care Program at Uniting Communities in South Australia. Paula holds a Bachelor of Social Science from the University of South Australia, and over the past 14 years, she has worked in various roles within the community, including the family violence sector, youth homelessness sector, and most recently the child protection and LGBTIQ sectors. She is responsible for establishing and managing JOES, an innovative therapeutic youth residential care program that provides long-term residential accommodation to young people under guardianship. In today's episode, we delve into how the program works and what makes it unique as a model of care. Well, thank you very much, Paula, for agreeing to come and have a chat to me today about therapeutic residential care. I wonder if we could start by asking you to tell me a bit about your background and how you came to be managing the Therapeutic Youth Residential Care program
1: at Uniting Communities? Yeah, sure. Um, so at the moment, yes, I'm the service manager of JOES, which is Therapeutic Youth Residential Care, um, and that's with Uniting Communities. I also manage Befriend, which is for um, new and emerging um, young people who are perhaps questioning their gender, their sexuality, and they might need some further support. And I also manage the foster care program, which is specialised. Foster care, also under DCP funded. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, so, what led me to do this work? So, primarily, really, it was about my desire to want to help, yes, help young people that perhaps needed um, support in their lives. Um, myself, I had dropped out of high school, um, carried a, a range of jobs that probably weren't allowing me to reach my full potential. Mm-hmm went to university later in life and it was certainly one of the best decisions I made given that I was able to gain a degree in Bachelor of Social Science, which then led to a fairly widespread career. And how did the Joes Therapeutic Residential Care Program get started? So I guess primarily with Joes, what United Communities wanted to do was something different. Um, We were awarded funding um, soon after the Nylon Report. So when I was uh, first given the role of service manager, I really just pulled myself over that uh, report trying to identify well what are the key things that were missing that um i guess weren't around in in residential care it's not hard to identify um, through research uh, i guess the various aspects as to why residential care often uh, fails or perhaps doesn't hit the mark with where it needs to be so for me it was about trying to draw on what we knew wasn't necessarily working, also trying to draw on perhaps what we'd identified in other models of what would work, and then trying our best to create something special and something unique.
0: How long has it been going for now Yeah, sure. Joes?
1: So Joes started March oh, 2016. One of the biggest things with Joes is that we try to create a learning culture. So when we started, we wanted to make sure that we were never gonna have a set Model. We were never going to have a set way of working. We were going to be continuously improving and reflecting on what we needed to do differently because, um, as far as the research we'd conducted, there was no other residential care program, you know, nationally, even internationally, that was completely hitting the mark. So, for us, one of the key things that we did early on in the piece is source high quality homes. If you were to go to most other residential facilities or homes, they're often in high density housing trust environments areas in which there's little to no community support the homes themselves are often very run down furniture quality is quite low and obviously those limitations it's often due to lack of funding lack of resources Um, and NGOs are almost always just trying their best to make things work with the limited funding capacities that they have So the first thing that we did was we sourced private investors and by using that social investment scheme, we were able to purchase properties and the homes that we sourced are lovely. They're high quality homes in lovely areas, furniture from high quality uh, manufacturers Mm -hmm. and stores, making sure that it was an environment that any of us as professionals would be happy to live there um, is there photos on the wall is there nice carpet is there veggie gardens is there all the things that we might also look for in a home the next aspect that we wanted to do was staffing so what we knew about residential care is that there is often a high turnover of staff okay and that's that's nationally recognised, you know, um, often staff will come and go through these programs and that's for various reasons, um, mainly because it's, it's stressful. And for us, what we wanted to do was anticipate, I guess, a level of having a high turnover, but also um, prepare young people for more of that home environment. So what you could imagine is we've got these wonderful homes that look like any other family home that you might live in and then we created something called the joe's family and so by creating a concept of joe's family it meant that we could reinforce to young people and staff that sometimes people leave the family sometimes they come back but there's the values and the principles and the meaning behind a family is that no matter what we are all here for each other Mm. and it almost created this concept that was higher than I guess the homes higher than the young people higher than the individual staff members because it meant that it was um, sustainable because that concept of Joe's family regardless of what members were in there the Joe's family concept was always going to be there Mm. so not only did that help I guess anticipate um, the high turnover of staff and making sure that young people didn't feel abandoned. It also created this environment where young people felt part of the family. Mm-hmm. It also created positive team culture. So what you'd find, particularly in the nylon report, is that positive team culture is one of the best things you can do to eliminate, really, abuse in care. Um, so for us, creating an environment where staff and young people felt part of this family concept. It helped Mm. both the young people and the staff alike. Mm -hmm. Um, As you can imagine, what would sometimes happen is that by referring to the Joes family, young people would at various times say, Well you're not my family, you're not my birth family. But that's why um, the third aspect of what makes us unique is that we actually work with their birth families. So by working with the family what we're able to do is almost bring their birth families into the concept of the Joes community. What we know is that a young person who is removed from their care of of their parents, often they don't want to be, they want to be with their birth family and the birth family want to have those children in their lives still. So by involving the birth family in such events as inviting the, the mother and father or any other key members into the home first getting to know them, telling them about the program, and actually inviting them to speak to their child about moving into Joe's. Also inviting the birth family to come, the moving in date. From there, Mm -hmm. we get the birth family to attend birthday parties, Christmas celebrations. Mm. As much as we can do while also managing, I guess, the risks associated with these are parents that have had their children removed we always need to consider getting the approval that we need from the Department of Child Protection. But if both of those stars align and we are, I guess, given free reign to engage with these families, it has proven on numerous occasions that having the family engage with us in that concept of Joe's family, Joe's community, Mm. has seen significant improvements for the young person, feeling more engaged with the program, not feeling guilty about not living with their parent, knowing that they can trust us because we also work with their families. On the other side of that, it's helped parents, you know, what you would often find with um, parents that have had their children removed. They might have grandchildren that they still see regularly, they might have older children still in their care, and so by involving the parents, we're able to actively role model Healthy family functions. Yeah,
0: yeah. I like I like that idea. Uh, uh, well, first of all, I'm sort of calling it Joe's family. It, mm. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? It's mm. quite simple, but mm. just having that as the name and that reminder all the time and, and then the added sort of environment of actually being a yeah. home because we know that, like, the ecology, the environment surrounding yeah. people, surrounding children, yeah. matters a lot for their mental yeah. health. So, yeah. 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 yeah.
1: For us, though, by having the home and having that concept of family, um, it really connects with why we're therapeutic as well, you know. Uh-huh. What we're trying to do by being therapeutic is, in a way, Treatment. You know, we want to be supporting these young people and these parents move from the trauma that they've experienced to a place of transformation. And so the house, the concept of Joe's family are just two aspects for us in the broader concept of of our therapeutic model.
0: Mm. Yeah, could you talk about the therapeutic
1: model? Yeah, so for our therapeutic model, what we try to do is operate under self-organising principles, which means that the youth work team self-organise how they support the young people. It's the youth workers that are delivering the care. It is the youth workers that are delivering the normal parental responses. So we want to make sure that it's the youth workers that are de- designing the individual therapeutic directions and strategies to support the young people move on from their trauma behind that obviously though we need to have a level of accountability um, within the leadership team so i guess for the therapeutic model there's five different stages which mm-hmm. i believe will be available on the website for people that are interested and a lot of the model reflects i guess what we call as the positive lives engagement framework And within that framework, there's a range of different options, um, or I guess elements that connect with what we need to support these young people with. One of the key things, I guess, that we focus on is the support for frontline staff to deliver the model. Okay, So when I talk about, I guess, deliver the model, what I'm really referencing is therapeutic strategies. So what you'd find with a lot of other therapeutic models, often well-researched, internationally um, renowned models, Often, um, what can happen is that they, I guess, fall down when it comes to the frontline staff. So what you'd have, you would have a wonderful academic mind that has written all these wonderful things about what these young people need. But at 10 o'clock at night, you've got a youth worker, so at three or four, um, if that, often solo, um, no other staff with them. They've got a young person that is perhaps showing uh, sexualised behaviours, abuse, violence all of the things that obviously come with the trauma that they've experienced it's really hard for that youth worker to be reflecting on a fairly rigorous academic model so we've got a broad concept of what our therapeutic model is when it comes to the actual therapeutic directions and strategies we let the youth workers design that and so every fortnight there'll be a team meeting and in that team meeting youth workers as the frontline staff, will be talking about what things they're seeing, what things they need to be doing differently, how they need to be consistent in their approach. And um, the coordinator of each house, as well as the therapeutic specialist is there, I guess to guide the youth workers and lead them to make sure they're following best practice and really making sure it links back to the therapeutic model. So making sure that the youth workers themselves feel comfortable with the different strategies and um, how to actually implement it, even when they're faced with fairly confronting behaviours from that young person.
0: And so are those strategies that come from a a developed mm. model mm. that they can pick and choose? Or is it about coming up with them themselves, or how does no, that...?
1: It, it really just depends, and it would be hard to, to dictate exactly what it is, mainly because they are focused on each individual young person and whatever it is that they're experiencing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so depending on what the young person's going through, it will have a very different strategy, and that strategy may only last for two weeks. That strategy may last for a month. Um, one of the key things, though, that, that I guess is important for us is making sure everyone is following the same support. So one of the key, um, or one of the things that often will fall down with other models of residential care is the youth workers will work on um, a roster that may cover five different homes. The staff are often Perhaps they don't feel comfortable with some of the normal parental responses, such as consequences for behaviours that need to be supported. You know, these behaviours might be something minor, such as minor theft or some verbal abuse. There might be sexualised behaviours that are going on in the house. But um, what you'd find is that um, the staff will be on rotation across numerous different houses um, so that they're not burnt out from some of those complex behaviours. That not only means that the young people don't get to form a meaningful connection with staff, but it also means that there's no consistency in parenting. And that's one of the key things that I think you'd find um, a lot of residential care providers have lost that ability to normal parental responses, you know, simply because they've got high staff rotation they don't know the young people the staff aren't often getting together to actually talk about the consistency that's needed Um, and so a young person will just carry on when they're not given the support that they need Mm -hmm. to learn from an adult about healthy boundaries and healthy ways of communicating with other people Mm -hmm. Um, so that's again one of the key things that we've got a set number of staff per house. Mm -hmm. We have those fortnightly meetings. The staff themselves are talking and designing how we need to be responding to the young people. And then having the coordinator, that's one coordinator per house, as well as the therapeutic specialist, it helps oversee some of those therapeutic strategies and helping oversee the practices of of youth workers to make sure that everyone is having the same response. Mm -hmm. The quicker that we can have a consistency and approach to support some of the, um, the complex trauma behaviours that we might be seeing, the sooner that the young person is able to have the ability to move past that. But we want to get them to a place where they're able to engage in, in meaningful lives, whatever that may look like. It doesn't have to be uni, it doesn't have to be work, it just needs to be something that they um, that they feel fulfilled in, in their lives. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you were talking before about what can be a bit of a problem of staff Working between several houses. Yeah. How does it differ with the Joe's model? Do staff just get allocated to one place? Yeah, and yeah, there? we do. Yeah.
1: So, so really, for us, a house as a therapist. It's the positive team culture, Joe's family, Joe's community, and within that, that is the set. I guess staff per house. They do work on a 24/7 roster, but it's the same seven or eight staff that remain in that house. And as well another part of our therapeutic model is supporting youth workers to engage in normal parental responses. We're really aware of not letting um, risk management get in the way of having those normal parental responses. So um, often youth workers might feel scared to have physical contact with a young person Mm -hmm. for various reasons. Of course we need to consider abuse in care we need to consider um, things like allegations but unfortunately what happens with those risk factors is that youth workers feel scared to engage in some of those normal parental responses such as a hug when a child is crying um, a pat on the back when they're doing a great job um, asking them meaningful questions about their lives um, and also a youth worker sharing meaningful information about their lives Mm -hmm. we're aware of the risks you know we we note them we acknowledge them Mm -hmm. but we support youth workers within those therapeutic strategies and directions um, to push the boundaries for us the best way that we manage those risks is the engagement that they have with young people needs to be purposeful why did you give that young person a hug Mm -hmm. why did you engage in a, a personal conversation about perhaps your own struggles Why did you enter the bedroom and tuck them in and read them a bedtime story? These are all normal things that any parent would do. Mm. And so all we do to manage those risks is get youth workers to name the purpose of that activity. Mm -hmm. And that alleviates or somewhat alleviates some of those risk factors because um, the engagement that they're they're undertaking is meaningful and it's purposeful Mm -hmm. and it's for a really valid reason.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay,
1: and... I guess I can imagine that um,
0: just going through that process and making a bit explicit sort of helps to just have that yes. bit of justification that's there yes.
1: if yes. it's needed just yeah. in case. Um, obviously we case note those, those types of things and making sure youth workers are being really um, open and transparent about some of the activities that they might do. So it always comes down to what is a normal parental response. Uh-huh. If, it's, if yeah. you can identify it as a normal parental response, we're going to attempt to do that because mm. that's what young people need, and it's often what's lacking in residential care. Mm. Most young people in residential care almost feel like they're being looked after by um, a system, a robot, a, a roster that rotates, people that do case notes, check in, check out, put food on the table. Um, where's mm. the meaningful therapeutic engagement there? It's non-existent. Mm. So, so, yeah, so yeah we, we try to do that as well. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear that because, you know, sometimes it just seems as though everything is so sort of risk-averse and, mm. you know, everything is sort of part of this big system and it's too clinical and this and that. And so it's, it's heartening to hear of an organisation prepared to intelligently yeah. assess that risk
1: and put and human needs ahead of that sort of risk-averse mentality. And as corny as it sounds, it's the heart. It's it's the heart behind it. These Mm -hmm. are young people that have been through horrific abuse, some of them, you know, through no fault of their own. We are trauma-informed. We acknowledge that these young people have been through a lot in their lives. They need to come to an environment that's nice, Mm -hmm. that's got supportive staff, that there's love, that there's care, Mm -hmm. um, and that there's meaningful connections. Um, Again, going back to the house, you know, we've got photos of all the young people up. Their school photos are visible. Everything that you would see in a normal home, um, we have at Joe's. We don't have a lockable office where there's rosters on the wall or staff files. We don't have any of that. Mm -hmm. There's a small walk-in wardrobe that has a few of those features, given that we can't ignore the fact we are... residential facility there needs to be some lockable items but it is a small walk-in closet Mm -hmm. besides that the whole house is open there's no locked doors um, there's no office environment it is very much a family home Mm. yeah which is really important Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, another aspect is the authentic engagement so for us that really connects with those normal parental responses making sure that we are engaging with these young people in an authentic manner We name that we know that they're under guardianship. We name, I guess, some of the struggles that that comes with, and we try to support them as best as possible with the reality of what they're faced with. We want our youth workers to be building those meaningful connections. So making sure youth workers are letting the young people know about them, who they are as a person, um, not just this robot that's on a rotation roster. You know, we make sure that we hire based on values to ensure that we're recruiting people that connect with what we're trying to do at Joe's. Um, For us though, there are five stages that we consider get them from a place, I guess support them from a place of that trauma to transformation. So stage one, the focus is intake and adjustment. So making sure the young people connect with the Joe's house, connect with the Joe's family, and become familiar with the general runnings of how we're operating as a family unit. Within that intake stage, It may take six months, it may take a year. It really depends on how that young person um, is engaging with what it is that we need to provide. Mm -hmm. Within that intake period, lots of ups and downs you know we anticipate property damage we anticipate staff will be verbally abused we anticipate there may be some physical violence in the house Mm -hmm. we anticipate DCP might be given a complaint from the young person you know the office of the guardian so forth because they are all things that i guess are normal responses for us trying to assist the young person engage with a healthy family Home environment. So part of that intake period is when we would make sure they're engaged in school, um, dietary needs, health needs, do they need to be referred to a psychologist, a psychiatrist, speech pathologist. So I guess just making sure all those key life domains are actually being addressed um, and make sure they're getting the support that they needed. So from there, uh, multi-systemic needs based behaviour solutions. What that is, um, It's stabling some of those initial behaviours that we saw. We don't want them to feel that they're in trouble. We know that their behaviours are simply a result of the complex trauma that they have been exposed to. Mm -hmm. But really, by having a behavioural change aspect to our model, we are trying to get them to move past those behaviours. A key aspect is, I guess self-awareness is, is, is the, the what I'm trying to say, yeah. awareness of um, their own behaviours. What we often get youth workers to do, as an example of some of the strategies, is when they're being um, verbally abused or when they're being targeted, to show that it's actually hurting their feelings. Uh-huh. What you'd find in a lot of residential care providers, youth workers are often, put up a face and put up a guard that no matter what a young person does, they're going to be tough and they're going to be okay. Mm. That's not a real world response. Mm -hmm. If you're being abused verbally or physically, you're going to be upset, you're going to be hurt. Mm. So part of that behavioural change aspect of the model is about that authentic and I guess mirroring and holding up a mirror to some of the behaviours that the young people might be doing. Uh, Stage three um, is growth and relationships. So for us, what we're really keen on doing is um, the therapeutic specialist Lindy's is wonderful at, at writing and talking about all of these things it's a bit of a touch in five philosophy so we've stabilized the young person we've addressed their behavioral i guess challenges now we want them to have growth and engage in external relationships positive peer relationships perhaps re-engaging with family parents in a more positive way mm-hmm. school work what we know about young people in care is that they're often friends with other people in care so for us if we can have an influence over the young person what might we be able to achieve within their friendship circle you know so stage four is thriving and small successes so again it's just building on that that growth and relationship so um, what you might see as someone thriving is um, remaining engaged in school perhaps remaining engaged in vocational education perhaps gaining some small employment something that you know that that you can see they're really thriving and enjoying um, something that they're getting a sense of fulfillment from it might just be a sporting club it might be an achievement at school you name it just something that actually sees these young people achieving out -hmm. in the community Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the final stage stage five is personal transformation and exit preparation so for us exits or um, how they leave joe's can look like a lot of different things i mentioned the joe's family or the joe's community that is really important at this stage what we make sure young people leaving us feel is that they can call us They can visit us, obviously we need to be mindful of other young people in the house, but we want them to feel that we will always be there for them. And so what you would often find is that we have engaged young people that have left with our head office of Uniting Communities, and there's lots of different supports that we provide. Um, So if we can engage a young person, toward the end of them exiting with any other support services that might be available for adults, making sure that they feel that connection not just in the Joe's house, but within the organisation. And we've seen huge success with that. You know, we still have dinners with one of our exited young people. Another young person still pops in randomly to see me at the head office. Yeah, and and catch-ups at cafes. So we've exited three people, and all three young people are still engaged with us um, in, in different ways. Again, it just comes down to that normal parental responses. When you're 18, your parents don't always or often kick you out of the house with no more contact Mm. there's a support network for them there is someone that they can call i I guess emotionally we will certainly always be there for them and if Uh they did need help with housing that's where the strength of of the organization would come in to support them
0: yeah right okay so like a continuation of Mm. not care but connection and sense of belonging a sense of
1: belonging Yeah. yeah like i said it really connects with that um where possible, a normal family response, you know? Mm-hmm. What else do they need once they leave us? Mm-hmm. What we know is that often young people may not be ready at 18, um, and we've had one young person that we were able to receive an extension of care simply because okay. it just wasn't... Um, they weren't ready, you know? And yeah. I think for us, there's lots of different things that we're advocating for um, in the world of child protection, mm-hmm. but certainly um, focusing on the individual, individual needs of each young person is a key thing that we're pushing for. We know that there's developmental delays, often due to disability, sometimes due uh, as a result of the complex trauma.
0: No, and even kids who haven't experienced complex Mm. trauma are often not ready these days to leave home at 18. Kids are getting older before they leave. Okay, that's really interesting, thank you. Yeah, I was a little bit curious because our focus at the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is kids from infants to 12 years old. Mm. So what's the age range of the kids who are in
1: in the Joes program? So for residential care, um, historically, it was always 12 to 17 or when they turn 18. Um, Recent reform has seen that reduced to 10 years of age, Mm. which we're really open and happy for. Mm. What you would often find is residential care is not seen as a good option for younger than 10 years of age and often residential care as a whole can be seen as not a good option for any young person you know mm. there's often a desire for family based care regardless of someone's age mm. and we certainly connect with that we know how wonderful it is if we can make family based placement kinship placements foster care arrangements, but for Joes, we see our program as being a really great solution for young people that are needing a home and a family. Mm -hmm. So for us, rather than age or even gender, we try to look at the individual needs of young people. You know, we want to be client focused. Mm -hmm. So for us in one of the houses, we've got a female that's 10, uh, a male that's 14 and a male that's 15. Now, perhaps historically, that might have been seen as red flags to be placing a female with two older males. Mm-hmm. But when we looked at the individual needs of those three young people, we identified that there, there was no explicit risks. And it was actually more meaningful for the older boys to perhaps connect with the concept of a younger sibling. And likewise, for her to perhaps learn from older males healthy ways of engaging with family members so of course we always manage risks and we always explore different decisions that we're making but age or gender for us is not as important as the actual placement matching what we often find with placement matching is we have done similar demographics at the other house and by having two houses where both houses might have girls similar age and boys similar age, we're able to hold social events and functions in which they're able to engage in peer friendships as opposed to the different dynamic it has when the young people live together. So by enabling perhaps two of the 10-year-old females to engage with each other who live in different houses, it almost has a bit of a a cousin feel to it or a friendship feel. What's amazing about that though, it's under the support of Joes to make sure that those friendships are healthy. Mm -hmm. And so we're able to support these young people to engage in positive peer relationships, which often is one of the major, I guess, impacts that adolescents can have is when they're associating with perhaps other young people that might have particular behaviors that, that are hugely influential. All right. Well, It's been a great conversation. Thank you very much, Paula. Thank you. No
0: worries. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme